NTU World of Wisdom. Welcome to High Impact Thesis. In this podcast, we speak with researchers from various scientific fields to talk about the motivation, goal, and potential impact of their research. We also want to give you a sense of how a PhD is carried out with an emphasis on the PH, the philosophical aspects involved in pursuing a PhD. All right, everyone, welcome back to the High Impact Thesis podcast. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Ahmed, and we are joined today by Hasnain. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot. So why don't we start off with a very general overview of your research topic, just for everyone listening. Right. So I've I've grown in uh, uh, Rajasthan, which is a desert state in India. In general, in India, resources are scarce. Not everyone has equal access to the resources, but more in <clears throat> Rajasthan so that we don't have enough rainfall. And so I remember in summers, water would be supplied at our homes, you know, in uh, four days once or in two days once. And this would like vary, uh, you know, depending on the part of the year. Sometimes it's summers and you don't have rainfall at all. So they lack uh, water supply, so they limit that. And so I remember that right from a very uh, young age, I... I um, I, I really like this idea of, um, you know, making decisions uh, optimally. So when you when you have limited resources, how do you uh, make best use of it? Unlike a resource-rich country like Singapore, when you have where you have you know a lot of uh, everything, water, and you can ask pretty much everything, and you have it. You can use that water for gardening. You can use that water for for many other purposes. But when where we come from, it's water is is it comes at a premium, and so you have really have to put it to good use so i remember from that point in time i was very interested and intrigued by this idea of uh, making decisions earlier it was like how human make decisions how do they arrive at some decisions but later it became how do you make uh, good decisions and then when i was uh, going through my school through my college i was a mechanical engineering major by the way right in the middle i think i took one course on mathematical modeling and i i was exposed this exposed to this idea of optimization i did not know that this formally or this there's a formalism around this idea of decision making which is called optimization uh, which is a, a standard problem is that you have some resources and you have some objectives how and you have some constraints so how do you make use of those resources to maximize an objective um, and i really like that idea because it basically connected with the idea of decision making you have to make some decisions how do you make them optimally so yeah, very generic. And then of course, when I grew up, I further realized that uh, you don't have uh, you know infinite time to make decisions. You have to make decisions sometimes very quickly, and most of the times under uncertainty. You don't know um, everything. You, know, you never have perfect information about the world that you're in. Things are very probabilistic. So this this love for basically decision making under uncertainty, I believe I, now I can look back and really connect the dots. But back then I had no idea that. This is where I was going towards, but I had this inherent uh, love for that. So when I was working for a construction company, we had to deploy again some resources. Uh, you don't have, you know, infinite money. You have uh, human resources are limited. Money is limited. Another question is how do you achieve your targets with the same set of resources that you have? Not optimally, not you know, uh, causing them a lot of headache. You have also consider about their goodwill and about their uh, lives and stuff. So. And I understood that how powerful this was, like the guy who was running the company, or the project directors, the project managers, they were making these decisions. So uh, bad decisions could um, impact so many people down the line. 
yeah i think again this this thing recurrently came to me back then as well that you need to make decisions intelligent decisions you you work always in under uncertainties also and, and then i realized that later at a point in time that uh, there's a whole branch which is which goes by different names in different areas is called operations research is called operations management is called you know decision making uncertainty under different colleges different departments teaches civil engineering departments teaches you know the mechanical engineering departments teaches computer science departments teaches so when i when i got exposed to these uh, these ideas in my masters that was when i was like no I, this is something that i am i like more than any other thing and one thing led to the other and eventually i landed up doing a phd uh, which is also the the, the content and in, in the stuff that i did in my phd also falls under the the broad umbrella of uh, decision making and uncertain under uncertainty under the umbrella of operations research mm-hmm. and what was your phd about so i um, in my phd at ntu i worked uh, with singapore changi airport data and the objective was to make the operations airport operations safe and efficient and also passenger sensitive so um, at an airport you have two regions you can divide an airport into two subsystems uh, one is what we call land side and another what we call air side so land side is that portion or that part of the airport where we as passengers go where where we have those lounges where we relax where we have those uh, duty free shops where we buy stuff from we buy tickets from where we get queues and all of that uh, that's called land side other side is called the air side uh, the air side is a part where aircrafts uh, land they take off the taxi they are parked at the gate so in my research i tried to again optimize operations at land side and also operations at uh, land side and try to do that in a way that they work synergistically and not you know the other way when you improve some some work somewhere because it's a complex system efficiency somewhere can translate to inefficiencies at other place so then you don't want to end up in that situation so a large chunk of my phd is about improving air side operations improving air uh, aircraft movements basically orchestrating aircraft movements so that you have less delays and I, and i say to make it efficient and safe i mean by efficiency we mean less delays and by safe we mean that aircraft should not come too close to another so that there's no uh, or there's no case of runway incursion or runway excursion wherein uh, you know people safety is at risk and aircraft uh, there's a lot of money involved even in the aircraft if it gets accident you know into accidents with uh, with the in any obstacle or with other aircraft that's a disaster so you want to schedule operations manage operations such that basically control things so that you don't end up in a, in a in a bad situation so specifically my phd was about reducing the delays at the taxiways at the runways and do them in such a way that passengers don't get affected they are still able to make their connections so that was what i did specifically in my phd So is this the runway considered part of the airspace? So as I said there's something called air site. Air site. So yeah. yeah. Air space is like the en route where mm. aircraft fly. Uh, my research is all about ground, mm. ground movements of the aircraft. So uh, air site is basically taxiways and runways. But a large part of my research didn't have to do anything with uh, runway. I take that as a given. So any every runway has a schedule. Now again this idea of um, the idea of optimization really comes is when when you have runways and uh, runways and taxiways are scarce resource every aircraft that comes in an airport has to be serviced at a runway and when it takes off it has to use you know that that runway and so you can only serve as many aircraft as you can basically you know service at the runways similarly when you have the taxiways changi airport does not have 
it has only few runways they're making another terminal mm. uh, which would be operational i believe by 20 quite late i mean it, it might take 10 to 15 more years and it's fully operational but but that's something in the future right now changi and singapore it's it's of strategic importance to them that changi is able to cater to different passengers from all over the world so changi is like a hub there are different models in which airports operate one is what you call hub and spoke model so different flights feed into changi and then from changi these passengers which have come in different flights fly to another destination let's say australia or us so there's a long haul flight again there are different models in which airports operate changi airport is essentially a hub and spoke model wherein it attracts all the flights from different areas and then they come all the passengers come here and then they go to another destination together in a long haul flight so uh, it's it's, a, it's of importance to changi that uh, their op- not only their air side operations are efficient but also that passengers uh, don't miss their connections because uh, that's a very terrible situation for any passengers to be in that once you know you can get delay but if you miss a connection uh, there's a lot of problem not just for you but even for the airlines if if it is their responsibility to connect you to another flight or you know basically found accommodation to you uh, accommodation for you but then equally important for them is how long can they make their flight wait because for example if let's say your flight was delayed because of any reason because of some other airports or because of this current changi airport operations that you know that make that flight wait at the tarmac and it's not able to be parked the the problem is that for you the aircraft cannot wait indefinitely it has to fly its next leg otherwise the passengers on this aircraft will be late for their destination and so then this is uh, it is a cascading effect again you have limited resources limited time and you don't know what will happen in the future if you if you choose to wait this flight how uh, no how much more time would this next aircraft is going to connect will come will take so you never having perfect information so you always work with probabilities yeah to answer the specific question it is more, so my research was more about uh, although airside does do contain uh, this runways but uh, i was more focused on the gates when passengers go and i mean they come and they uh, basically transfer to another gates take their boarding flights and then uh, take uh, no take off flight and they take off from this uh, this changi airport uh, but but the research is very general like if it can be applied to changi it can be applied to any other airport so my focus was on on gates and on taxiways when do you ask the aircraft to start so specifically there's this the problem that i really worked uh, for a lot of time in my research was about departure metering it's called airport departure metering so metering is a concept of basically controlling the start times of the aircraft controlling the start times of the aircraft so that they can reach their destination so in my case i'm controlling the start times of the departing aircraft so we we call that in our domain pushback time the time when the aircraft will be pushed back from the gate so you control the start time or the pushback time with two objectives first objective is the runway as i told is a scarce resource you don't want to starve it there should always be some utilization of the runway so you don't want to starve it you want to con- constantly feed it with the aircraft yet at the same time so one one way to achieve this is is that you just put every aircraft that is ready and ask it to go and depart then what you end up having is a long queue of uh, aircraft you have a good runway pressure but you have a long queue of aircraft waiting for their runway slot So what then happens is that these aircraft are idling they're burning fuel passengers are having a difficult time just being on the tarmac things are not moving so it, it basically diminishes their experience and then uh, it's just waste of fuel so now the question is how can i as i said i keep telling uh, orchestrate the times the start times uh, we call that departure metering so that both these objectives are met 
the two objectives again in a very specific term is runway utilization the runway should be able you should be able to utilize it to the best of your capabilities of as an airport by the same time you want taxiway delays to be very less so then the idea is that can you release them in time just so that they reach the runway just in time and yet they don't have a lot of traffic to contend with they can just find their ways very easily so now to think about how can I release each aircraft from their gates? And there are like many gates at Changi. Um, so that uh, when they come to the runway, they find their runway available. And yet they have not stopped and go. And there's a very common phenomenon, stop of stop and goes. When, we, when you're driving in, in real life, in, in cars, in, in motorcycles, in cycles, on roads, there are street lights, right? And they make a stop. But on airport, you don't have that. So what ends up happening, happening is the air, pilot sees the next aircraft ahead of it and see that it has stopped so it has to also stop and then it leads to queue formation so you really don't want to end up there as well you need to find a sweet spot so just so i make sure i understand this correct the ideal situation would be for me as a pilot to get the go from the control tower run my engine and then just keep going in the taxi and then on the runway and take off without stopping exactly and that should happen to all the all the airplanes. Exactly. Can you do that uh, at a at a global scale? Can you do it at the airport level, not just for flights? So this sounds very similar to manufacturing. Yes. Like like a manufacturing line, yes. like and all the theory behind it, like sending parts in at the right time, where they get used and then they get you know yeah. pushed on to another line. I incidentally use that word just in time, uh, which is actually we borrowed from mechanical engineering, wherein the uh, this concept. Yeah, and I think people working in mechanical engineering, industrial engineering are very familiar with. You want, you just want to produce enough so that you don't end up with a lot of inventory, because inventory keeping cost is also a lot. You need space. You need, so you need to just make enough so that reaches market. And and this can really make or break a company. By the way, it's not mm-hmm. just making good stuff, but it's also about. And this is what you call operations research. You want to optimize the operations so that you can uh, maximize the productivity and the profits. So yes, a lot of ideas um, uh, in, in, in this area are borrowed from control theory and electrical engineering, are borrowed from uh, just-in-time and things like uh, and, and operations, uh, operational concepts like these in mechanical engineering. So it borrows from, from multiple areas. It's quite interdisciplinary in that sense that you have to use and, and, quite, and a lot of those ideas really help. So the algorithms that were developed before uh, I think this is a problem that, I be, that has been studied for the last two decades. The, the first paper in that field, that we could call that a pioneering paper, which, which basically gives us idea of, of, of a virtual uh, queuing. So what does it mean? That basically means that instead of having a physical queue, you can have a virtual queue. So you can assign that pilot his slot. So let's say there are 10 slots, 10 aircraft want to go to the runway. You give each one of them their queue number. And then uh, when a particular, so then, but back then air, air, uh, air traffic controllers or ground controllers have to decide by their own uh, experience that how much time from this gate to this runway it might usually take. And given that there are two aircrafts already, the runway is occupied for the next 20 minutes, let's say. So, and this aircraft would take 18 minutes to arrive. So I might as well ask him to wait at the gate for two minutes instead of burning, burning the fuel for two minutes on the tarmac, on the uh, taxiway. So all, a lot of that had to happen in the mind of the controller. And so this make, basically waiting the aircraft for two minutes on the 
gate is what you call metering. You're basically metering or you're controlling the start time of this aircraft. Or in, a, in other words, the fuel burn time of the aircraft. So that when it really starts, it does not find any problem, yet the runway is not stopped. So that those were the pioneering ideas of, of a virtual queue, that the aircraft still queue, but not physically, but virtually. And then you, you tell them then this is the right time to go and they move. Even before that, uh, when we had uh, very less traffic, where we had when we didn't have basically the resources were enough. The the capacities were more than the demands. When this was the situation, then it didn't really matter. You can ask the guy uh, to to leave the gate, you know, uh, and and reach the runway when they were ready. That that used to happen when we were not really bothered about uh, the fuel, or the environmental aspect of aviation, uh, or for example. So back then everything was in was enough supply. But later, as as traffic has grown over the years. And, and the predict- prediction are that, you know, in the next, by 2037, there were predictions that we would double the amount of traffic that we have today. Let us sink in. From 1800s to this time, the amount of traffic that has, that has come into existence will just double, by 100% will increase. So, if we were to operate with those protocols that existed back then, we would end up in a very bad situation, wherein uh, a lot of delays, a lot of misconnections, we would see every day. So we need to come up quickly with, with algorithms which are efficient and with actually make, make use of uh, data that we already have instead of just relying on human intuition and human experience. But that is good, but then it takes a lot of time for humans to develop their intuition and, and uh, quite honestly, they're not always optimal. So a lot of work that I've done is, is, is basically using deep reinforcement learning to control the, the start times. So I, I would make a simulator I would simulate airport operations and basically task a deep reinforcement learning agent to control this traffic. And this agent over millions of iterations would learn uh, how to basically find the sweet spot. Uh, so the objective, as I said, uh, the objectives are very clear. We want run maximum run utilization and we want minimum delays. So the better the agent is able to do over each scenario, the more we reward it. If it ends up doing bad, we penalize it. To train it to recommend advisories to controllers that can maximize the objective. So again, it's a very interdisciplinary field. Uh, we borrow ideas from different uh, areas. My line of research was, uh, this is a very big topic, departure meeting, but my line of, I, I did departure meeting, but using a specific techno- uh, methodology, which is what we call uh, deep reinforcement learning. And it turns out that it works quite well. That's very interesting. So before we kind of dive into your specific uh, model or your agent. What is like the common way to do this in a country, like other countries that see a lot of traffic, but maybe they don't have access to this kind of research? Hmm. Uh, like any any of the big countries, like how do they do things that are inefficient in, in this particular area? Right. As I said, the research in this area started in um, 1980s, almost two decades, three decades ago. I think the first first few papers came in 1987, 1990, which really talked about that you need to do something about the congestion on the air side. But different researchers, uh, of course, have their own methodologies. A lot of a lot of work in the last decade, especially, has happened uh, using queuing theory. They have models again. Queuing theory is, for those of who don't know, queuing theory is again theory basically that you picture or you model the the airport world as different queues that are at different. Uh, locations on the airport. Again, this this uh, queuing theory has been very well studied in 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 areas like uh, like McDonald's. You have queues of 
customers waiting for their orders and wait and some customers you know uh, waiting to give their orders in banks you have customers waiting uh, back then in the end of the day you would queue for your turn at the bank counter and then you would go and get the services so these problems have been very well studied about queuing theory that how you minimize the queue size uh, so a lot of that research happens but to be honest to answer your uh, specific question what airports around the world use that's something so for the most part there is no algorithm as i said for airports which are in 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 let's say not so rich countries they would uh, the controllers would go by their intuition in countries where are there, there are algorithms they don't make it i mean those are algorithms which they don't disclose i see yeah. but we know that for example a lot of this research has happened in us in mit they have their airports they partner with airports uh, like we do with changi so they partner with airports and and we know that they have applied those algorithms because those reports have come out but what really goes inside their software so every every controller has a display on which he sees a radar display and and through the window he can see the the live traffic there are some advisories we have this um, advanced surface movement guidance and control system we call it asmgcs uh, there's a system that basically gives you all these recommendations uh, basically what route you should assign the aircraft what time you should assign the aircraft so there are these systems for the most part it's basically extrapolation so you know a certain situ- state at a certain time and you extrapolate that given that these instructions would be given how the future scenario would look like and then work backwards so if i know that in that scenario 20 minutes of queuing time will be incurred so i ask i, wo- I go back and ask this aircraft to wait for 20 minutes because you'll just be burning the fuel for next 20 minutes uh, so, the, so a lot of that is, is simple uh, extrapolation but the problem occurs when our models of the world don't work or our plans don't work as they were scheduled uh, because inherently airport is a very uncertain environment uh, and there could be a thousand sources of uncertainties weather could be one of it aircraft breakdowns could be one of it a, pa- a late passenger could be one of it there are so many variables that if you model a world what i mean by modeling is basically writing some mathematical equations that would hopefully uh, abstract out the reality uh, but reality always is more complex than any mathematical model can explain we have so many other sources so the approach that we took was we said we would not model the airport environment so we would simulate the operations and we would have different sources of uncertainties and so the idea is that if the environment is realistic enough can the agent in this uncertainty perform good can it manage those two metrics and if it can then by the logical extension it can do well in reality also so we work with this premise that we will create an uncertain environment we will not model it we will not model it in the equation but we will just simulate everything every source of uncertainty that we can put in and then we would expose this agent to this uncertain environment one thing that machine learning and specifically deep, not, not just deep reinforcement learning but almost every machine learning algorithm is good at is basically abstracting out the the uncertainty that exists in the environment so we thought of kind of capitalizing on this capability of of a agent that learns through trial and error if there are millions of scenarios it has seen enough scenarios that what one decision essentially led to and so try to work out a policy we call it policy is policy is basically given a certain scenario what action should the controller take the idea was to come up come with these efficient policies when you say you're not modeling the real environment and uh, not using equation then how how are you uh, building this virtual so world? so yeah so there are certain um, so for example as i said we have newtonian motion for the motion of the aircraft so we of course use those equations to model the movement of the aircraft 
but there could be different sources of pushback delays right and then could be uh, and then we could learn these delays from the data you could see the data and you could see statistically so this data is coming from real airport yes okay so then you can uh, take the real statistics of the operations at the airport and then add all those sources of uncertainty the uncertainty in aircraft landing times the uncertainty in aircraft pushback time the uncertainty in aircraft taxiing time the uncertainty is in the routes that the aircraft would eventually take right and the uncertainty of aircraft speeds so all these are so much uncertain but we can look in the data the historically this was what we saw so if if that history is any um, indi- indicator of of reality and if you can play out that reality and the agent can still do better uh, or good in the, those situations then you can do away with a lot of modeling or abstraction as i put it mm. so are you comparing with also actual actual delay times and uh, so so we would compare the so as i said uh, this work at this moment is in the uh, realm of simulations so we compare the metering policies mm. with non metering scenarios so non metering scenario basically mean that when it was a scheduled start time the aircraft would start at that time without any intervention so for the first set of results we compared our work with those al- with, with basically no metering but then a the later part we compared with the algorithms that we that was already out in the open domain and uh, which were also simulation based you can't compare apples with oranges right uh, because there are different sets of assumptions or different data sources so there are, there were some algorithms that were already there which were trying to do this stochastic optimization uh, optimization in the realm of probabilistic events and then uh, we we used our method and basically benchmarked the performance of our method with their method and then within reinforcement learning also there are many algorithms i'm talking about the algorithm that figures out how to find a policy how do you intelligently move towards the global optimum or the optimum so then we we had different sets of experiments in which we tried different algorithms and try to find out an algorithm that was stable enough and that would consistently outperform other algorithms so it's the comparison essentially the benchmarking essentially is against no no intervention as in no uh, metering and then you have metering and you use the state of the art algorithms but you have two objectives right one is about the utilization of the runway and the other one is about the the time right so and they sort of seem contradicting right i can increase the utilization of the runway but then i'll get more delay Yeah, I can reduce the delay, but I'm not utilizing. So, how do you compare different algorithms when you have two contradicting objectives? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for for the matter, of, when I was training the algorithm, uh, it would be just a a linear combination of both of them. So, you have mm-hmm. a basically equal weights to both the objectives, and you can always tune the weights. So, when I what I, what I mean by weights is you have you have um, a reward function in reinforcement learning. You have to define a reward function. Uh, basically how much reward uh, would be given to the agent so we have a reward function that um, is a combination of the runway throughput or runway throughput basically mean how many aircraft were serviced in one hour and you have a, a delay taxi out delays so how much so when i what i mean by delay is that if the aircraft were to go from start to the runway without stopping unimpeded how much time would it take and actually how much time did it take You subtract the them. Yeah. The difference, the delta, tells you the delay. So the idea is to minimize the delta or the delay. At the same time, keep the runway pressure uh, consistently high. So uh, here's the thing: 
in non-metering scenarios, as, as, we, as we are discussing about the trade-off, right? this is always a trade-off and there are two competing objectives. In the non-metering scenarios, you would not stop the aircraft, you would let it go. And as I said earlier, you would have long queues. So you would have love, uh, a lot of good runway utilization, the runway would never be staffed, but then you would have long delays, a lot of fuel burnt. The other extreme is you just kill the competition. How do you kill that? You only release this aircraft when there is no traffic. So in this case, the aircraft goes and doesn't encounter anything, goes unimpeded, fly off, take off. What happens in this process is the runway is stopped because in the time it goes, there's no, there's no runway utilization. So you want, you want to find a sweet spot. Our work showed that you can uh, significantly reduce the delays. Now we do a lot of uh, experiments with, with basically artificially increasing the traffic also. Like we would make it 50% more in the current one. And, and so the current traffic usually at Changi Airport is like uh, 30 to 40 aircraft serviced at one runway per hour. So we could move it to 70. We are sure going to give you some delays. Runway would always be in use, but you would have some delays. You want to serve those aircraft. So we, we checked the performance of the algorithm from uh, in simulations you can do whatever you want like you can put 10 aircraft only and you can put 70 aircraft and then you kind of see how the algorithm performs in all these scenarios so so now the the competing objectives of runway throughput and taxi the taxi out delays uh, we basically combine them as as a single reward function but then now to answer your specific question how would I, how would we evaluate the performance so we have the scenario, we have, we have recorded performance of all the algorithms. Now we can go back and see how much was the runway throughput for that scenario by this algorithm and by this algorithm. And then you can just have compare the performance. It's like a post comparison, wherein you can really see those hard numbers, operationally important for, for airport, for air traffic controllers, for air navigation service providers, and then just compare them. But then while, it, while training, it was kept relatively simple and, and then it, uh, this research a lot of iterations are involved so you think that keeping a certain reward would give you the desired output but then uh, you can always change the weights and see different kind of behavior from the agent so for example uh, there are a lot of iterations that i keep uh, saying that so initially when i started i thought that it would be a fairly straightforward problem that i would just have uh, run the utilization as one of the objective or one of the um, reward uh, component and I would have delay as one of the reward components but then I realized that the agents or reinforcement learning at least unfortunately at the moment doesn't learn that way you need to give them a lot of you know short-term rewards basically so so if 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 going back to this earlier definition of reward if I would give them this reward of, of a taxi delay or a run utilization they would only learn at the end of the scenario when the aircraft has reached the gate and alg these algorithms don't learn efficiently that way these are what we call sparse rewards we want to guide the, uh, the training of the algorithm so you want to give them immediate rewards at every good thing or every bad thing that happens so that the reward function was dis designed so that every pushback would lead to a positive reinforcement. Every takeoff would lead to a positive reinforcement. So, th so the central piece or the central idea of, of basically encouraging less delays was going back to the definition that what causes delays. And then we saw, okay, that the stop and go movement basically is an indication of there's a delay. So then we kind of would reward high velocities, high cumulative velocities on the airport. It might not so sound a very, um, a you know, very breakthrough idea but it really changes the whole performance because now the rewards can be computed at each time step 
the velocities can be computed of the airport at each time step versus a reward that was that you were going to get only at the end which mm. was the delta so if the speeds are okay the agent is always given a good reinforcement they didn't good and then the if the runways are being used you always give it a good now it has to balance between keeping the runway pressure and also we have this what you call is is, is a later gratification uh, the gratification gratification about the runway utilization would come at a later time the positive speeds or the you know quick velocities would be felt uh, quite quickly but then the agent has to globally optimize not just the immediate rewards but also the far off rewards this is a quite an active area of research and a lot of people are working in this domain of you know how do you design good rewards how do you design a, a good state space uh, how do you design a good algorithm uh, all these are very hot areas that right now are being worked upon uh, and there are a lot of moving parts which basically makes it a fertile ground to research quite fascinating that's very fascinating that, like how something is, is as small as just giving it uh, immediate gratification versus yeah. like at the end that's uh, yeah. very interesting yeah but but then you still have the issue of generalizing the model to different parts of the world right Ab- because then the uncertainties are like quite different in in a snowy country or a rainy country so how how do you deal with that so uh, yeah again a nice question so there's a there's a area of research again that is called transfer learning you learn something in let's say in one airport can you transfer that learning to another airport so to answer that conclusively there have been some attempts at doing that like people uh, learn in in some part of on route airspace and then they go to another area or let's say the same singapore airspace but they go to another section of the uh, airspace and then try to see the the learnings at one sector does it you know generalize to the other sector also and and the answer at the moment is uh, not completely like when you have trained an agent on one let's say one airport it does not necessarily translate to another airport directly it's not a one shot learning because as you said there are different operation protocols there are different um, the configuration of the airports are different the structurally the network is very different mm-hmm. there are more runways for example atlanta has so many runways crossing runways the geometry is different so and again the weather is different the runway usage is also different changi airport has this um, staggered runway staggered parallel runways wherein one run each runway it's like one runway is dedicated to departures another runway is dedicated to arrivals we don't have any interaction for most part that makes a lot job easy because then you don't have to worry about incoming arrivals whereas in other airports it could be much more complicated so uh, yes it does not directly translate but uh, very surprisingly and 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 happily we have seen uh, evidence that the uh, trained agent in one sector learns quickly uh, or quicker yeah, than yeah. if it was completely i mean it, it, if it were started from scratch at a new airport so the convergence rate of the policy we see the policy is converged when you are seeing a uh, good results consistently so you you change the scenarios but the agent is still able to do it well which basically means that it has learned a general policy so there's a curve and then it plateaus you see that yes now the agent has reached its peak now it can generalize so so that peak comes quickly if you if you use a already trained agent to another uh, to another airport because we we understand that there are differences but there are some commonalities as well so the commonalities again this is our attempt to inter, you know intellectualize this stuff uh, that there's maybe the agent has uh, abstracted this idea of uh, again this is a very uh, 
hot area of research mm-hmm. about you know how you can make it general how you, how you can make it generic uh, in in a broader data science or broader ai or machine learning community as well uh, and so so also the case in uh, in airport operations management what is the deployment for this kind of network look like you you mentioned that the control tower uh, has like a display in front of them right so if you were to de- deploy your agent like some version of that agent what is it telling them like what are the you mentioned something about policies like what do those look like for the the actual control tower uh, right now i'm doing exactly that I, i i made some algorithms now i'm creating the front end or the interface for the controller to interact with the algorithms so uh, how it gets deployed is um, is like is like this i'm i'm preparing a display wherein on one side you have the schedule for the day and on the other side you have the air side map with the live traffic information controller can see the traffic and can see the schedule in the schedule i show them a recommendation so you have the schedule which says that this is the scheduled start time of this aircraft uh, in the same region i tell them when the time comes like let's say this aircraft a was to start at 9 am and the time 9 am comes my algorithm recommends them that either you should push back it's okay to push back or it would be better if you hold it so it's a go no go sort of recommendation don't let it go let it go uh, at this point in time we understand that controllers are not very happy uh, being dictated some things so what we have done is uh, we just providing it as a as a recommendation so the controller still gets to decide what it gets to decide so the controller can hit a button near the advisory which can override this advisory the advisory says stop it but you can still let it go or can choose to follow it so now after we have this interface ready we would be doing this human in the loop experiments or at co validations wherein we would make a real uh, life controller sit in front of the system and then show them this advisory and do another set of experiments wherein we don't show them an advisory and they are on their own and basically compare the performance not just the performance on these two metrics I mean you can always compare the performance on these uh, hard metrics of objective metrics of runway utilization taxi delays but over and beyond that we also want to take into consideration uh, a personalization for the controller themselves uh, because not every controller is the same not just one recipe works for everyone you need to personalize it so you need to find in the solution space you need to find a subset that works for this controller so basically what you do is then you have another loop of training wherein the recommendation happens but the controller uh, action or the controller response to this those those recommendations also play into the uh, fact mm. so for example for example when we use uh, you know youtube we we are shown some recommendations but not every time we watch those videos but then the time that we watch those videos our clicks are useful for the algorithms that basically makes those new recommendations so similar to this fact we would take that those actions into our uh, into our uh, you know the brain of the algorithm or the policy as i create and then hype or fine tune it to suit this particular controller and we can do that for n n set of control again very fascinating so yeah. like that even i think will optimize more because now you are also it's just like i said you're fine tuning to the personality of the yeah controller so, so we we have to understand may not it it may be less or maybe suboptimal in this case because controllers can be um, You see, algorithms would would recommend them what is what is uh, let's say optimal. Mm. The controllers don't find that, uh, and there's no buy-in. So then, for buy-in, we might have to then stick with what controllers like. So again, there's a trade-off. Personalize it, but at the same time, keep the the recommendation sane. Again, there's a very good area of research wherein how much you optimize and how much you personalize, mm. uh, and to what degree uh, you you keep doing that. Again, uh, that's something. Uh, 
that I'm con- con- you know, consistently thinking about and working towards. But first thing for us is the buy-in. First, if they're ready to work with the system, then we can always tweak it later to make mm-hmm. it more op- optimized. Uh, initially, is to, is, to, is to basically show them then this this tool can really reduce their workload and so now what they can now what they have to do is just supervise or manage the small small decisions they don't have to because the algorithms are really good at monitoring you see uh, there are different things happening at different parts of the airport and we feed in all that information to the algorithm our state space uh, i waiting we didn't get a chance to talk about that but our state space basically is is a lot of things uh, but one of them is is a relative position of each aircraft on the surface an algorithm can basically abstract all this information at once, but for a controller to focus on all of them is nearly impossible. So we know some algorithms are good at some things. So let's capitalize them. And again, there are these another area of uh, very hot research is, is wherein you don't really need to personalize, but then you design something that complements the controller's strengths. Mm-hmm. The algorithm has some strengths, but algorithm can be um, the recommendations can be very weird sometimes because the algorithms don't have context. Whereas humans have context. Uh, and as I said, things can be uh, wrong due to multiple reasons. Weather could be one of them. The controller can think about the context that in this context, will this solution really work? Or should it, should I really think about doing this stuff? So that another paradigm of thought is, is can you complement each other? The strengths of this, can, can it complement decision making of this? And can his uh, or her decision making or you know, this context thing can help uh, the algorithm? Yeah, again, a very fascinating area. Uh, it's just a very fertile ground for all this kind of thoughts. Yeah. Actually, you just uh, remind me of something. So, like in chess, yeah, it's it's also deep learning, it's deep learning models, and um, a lot of times I'm watching like chess analysis online. Like the the commentator will say, "Okay, this is the recommended move by the AI," but does it make any sense? But we know, we know, everyone knows. Like no one can beat AI. Like the if you play a game against the the toughest AI, so it will always win. So we still we know that, and yet still we say, oh, this recommendation or this suggested move doesn't make sense. So there's always this human kind of uh, ego, I would say, maybe or or maybe I don't know what to call it. But usually, you like the to have context always with with any decision, right? So. I think that's yeah important to consider. There's again a, a very nuanced point. So algorithms and these decision-making systems are very sensitive to any changes. Sometimes those changes are not perceivable to us. We cannot perceive them because they're very minute. But these algorithms can view them, can actually sense that because the state space has changed now. And their recommendations could be based on that. Now, a lot of uh, flag that comes because, you know, as you said about the the algorithm, this thing called AlphaGo, and there are all these algorithms that have shown that they've outperformed sometimes world experts at those games. Chess movement, for example, at this point in time may not make sense, but looking down the line, uh, probabilistically, if you just extrapolate all the moves that are possible, that might make sense or might confuse the other guy, your opponent. So there could be uh, infinite reasons, but just because that is a black box, there's no explainability to attach to it. Like it does not tell you I'm making this move because this. So a lot of that is not again taken. You really need to f- uh, figure out w- what is more important. Uh, is is optimization the most important thing or explainability also? Some in sometimes we can't really blindly believe in algorithms like in medical research. We have to take into mm. account explainability because lives are, are uh, lives are at stake. But then other areas which are less safety critical, less dangerous, 
you can give them some uh, chance. And and uh, to be honest, not every move that the AI algorithm would make would be uh, would make sense, and even would be bad. But this is how those algorithms learn. You see, uh, over mm. over iterations, that what algorithms work. Uh, uh, and at the end of the day, I believe that there has to be some explainability. We don't want to go into a world wherein we we just blindly believe what we are being told. So uh, there always has to be some explainability. This is another paradigm. Earlier, people used to write algorithms. Algorithms were what step by step instructions. Let's say if you want to make, you want to cook something, you want to cook some some sweet, we would follow a recipe. You know, do do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you get this sweet. The paradigm change that comes with machine learning and with with deep reinforcement learning is that we don't know the recipe ourselves. So we tell them the end goal, and we tell them to figure out the recipe themselves. So it works the, in a backward mm-hmm. loop. So the idea is they do some random stuff initially because they don't. The policy is just random. Do anything. Equal probability of every action. But then through through the rewards, they are tuned. The policies basically neural network policies are set of weights, and you change the weights to see uh, to basically reduce the loss. You have a loss function. You want to minimize the loss. And the maximization of the uh, reward is basically you know giving that reduction of the loss for you. And so the the more reward you get. The better those those hyperparameters at that point in time, or those actions for that particular state, are reinforced in in the algorithm. So good actions that bring you more rewards are reinforced. Bad actions that the less a lot of penalty basically reduces the uh, the likelihood of taking the same actions if you see those future states, uh, similar future states. So yeah, again, that's a very uh, interesting dialogue for uh, for a lot of people that you know how how far can you trust them and if they don't make sense there is this thought that that they are supreme or they are they somehow better than us uh, but those algorithms that we know uh, have outperformed humans are still in a very limited domain the chessboard you know all the moves beforehand whereas reality is much more nuanced much more uncertain an mm-hmm. airport for example is way more uncertain than a chessboard chess you know the moves you know you know the that Uh, a king can only do this a queen can only do this they don't have a probability associated with it the probability is with the opponent's actions what actions it would take but not with how things would happen so the same controller same aircraft can leave the same gate but can reach the runway at a different point in time in different scenarios a lot of uncertainty and a lot of that has to come with the surrounding traffic Right. At one instant you have a lot of traffic. At one instant you you don't have a lot of traffic, but at one instant you have a lot of traffic uh, near the the aircraft movement trajectory. In other cases you don't have that. So this brings in a lot of new variability. So you can't really hard code a solution. Even for chess, as per some estimates, there could be billion moves. And so if you were to really do it. brute force way where and find all the possible answers and then try to find the the branch that would give you the optimal re, uh, uh, that would take us years to arrive at this, those decisions but we want something quickly uh, we don't have forever we have traffic to take care so it should happen quickly so i mean it's 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 one thing to perform good on on a game of go or to perform good on a game of chess it's another thing to do it in real life wherein you have uh, actors humans which are Quite often, not as predictable as you would want them to be. Right. So context is very critical in the real world. Yes. Whereas, like in a game, the context is very limited, and eventually, it's conceivable that with enough computing power, right, you know, you can achieve the entire context of that. Right. So, where do you see this field going in the future? Like, you know, 
the current challenges like you you've solved a few of the challenges before right like people doing it them, themselves or not using algorithms and so on uh, and then you solve some of them but what are the challenges you face now that some new research is is trying to fill in i think i think the the challenge lies in um, uh, first of all there's a real challenge of of catering to the increasing traffic we we and we know that traffic would increase and the methods that worked in the past will no longer be um, enough to or sufficient to to help us manage the the increased traffic now as changi airport did you could increase the infrastructure you can make more you can make a larger airport but that's not possible everywhere in all the times uh, there are so many considerations so many constraints when you're operating as an airport for example in us you cannot operate flights cannot land after a certain time in europe also because that noise that the aircraft create bothers the people around and then sometimes there are environmental reasons you can't just make things you need to cater for the environment so uh, increasing the physical infrastructure is not the i would say it's not an intelligent solution you can do that but it it involves a lot of money it involves a lot of money and then it also has as all these problems of environmental um, regulation problems as well so then the question is that given what you have you need to manage the demand intelligently so now the question is can humans do that and we know that we have a certain cognitive limit beyond which we can't just or it would tax us a lot you can just put in more people also but there there's a limit to that as well another question is how can we make the lives of controllers the, con- the people who make who control this traffic easy so i believe the the future directions are is 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 basically uh, using these algorithms to aid the decision making under uncertainty for the controllers and and then of course there has to be a buy in so a lot of future research i believe would be about how do you develop trust between these uh, socio economic systems uh, how do you develop a system wherein controllers rely on these advisories and can fall back upon them and how do you design algorithms that are robust and also explainable because if a controller knows why you do something the chances of a buy in are much higher because i can have even though the answer might be wrong but i need to start giving you some some solutions that are explainable so a lot of this research i believe would go into that direction wherein uh, you would need controller buy in and and like uh, aviation it's a very safety critical system so there are a lot of regulations in place you can't just put any system that you want to in in out in open and, and operate the environment you need uh, regulatory agencies to certify those and right now it's a big challenge to certify machine learned black box models so uh, a lot of research is also going in that direction then how do you again it, it basically ties back to trust and it ties back to explainability so i believe that a lot of in future the the this area since we know that we have to manage the demand the task is at hand is challenging and we know that uh, we have some algorithms we have some tools that can make the lives easier and so if we can give controllers more um, basically if if we if we come to the situation where controllers are managing the traffic instead of taking each decision Uh, and they are like more like supervisors and they are instead of supervising uh, different humans they are supervising algorithms or different tools taking decisions it, it would be inevitable if we have to go ahead in time and for countries like countries for which airport operations are critical to their existence uh, countries that rely on tourism countries that rely on travel uh, uh, and there are many countries like those so for them uh, it is for of strategic importance for them to to basically develop and, and you know just put these tools in, in the uh, in the workflow uh one last question do you see a time where control towers are only run by computers um 
maybe in the far future yes but those questions are very similar to do you see time wherein there is there are only you know autonomous cars there is no human driver similar these questions are very similar to do you see a time wherein there are no pilots uh, at least at this moment i believe that is not the case uh, because for safety critical systems you need to have humans at the moment what we are doing is just delegating some of the routine work to the algorithms but the critical thinking works that requires some context that requires uh, high level high order thinking um, skills are still done by controllers human controllers but you, you never say never you don't know if eventually that would happen uh, but not likely so much in in the air transportation domain at least as i can see if you would know that a lot of algorithms that work behind the traffic signals that we work on the road they are they are algorithms actually mm. now it's not just a fixed cycle earlier it used to be a fixed cycle like 20 seconds yellow 20 seconds green 20 second red now there's no more the case now it, it basically if you have seen in singapore there are sensors on the road yeah so oh, when a car goes the so there's an indication for them that how much traffic is basically waiting in one direction so there's more traffic here then they reduce the time for the red signal and they let it go so i believe every every technology has to go through uh, these cycles when first first thing is the buy in so you need to reduce the threshold for the buy in and then uh, you continuously improve it so much so that when humans become comfortable with algorithms let's say controlling the traffic lights uh, but that has come after the long series of iteration and a long series of research and a lot of experience uh, those i'm very sure those traffic lights may have led to very difficult situations sometimes uh, problematic encounters yeah it uh, happens when you know they're all off suddenly <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah and then there are there are various uh, different questions around this also that what happens you know that controllers ask us that uh, will our jobs be taken uh, all these things have repercussions i i do uh, acknowledge that but as one of my uh, as my supervisors put it the other, way, other day that you know that jobs are not lost it, it just leads to evolution of jobs so for example with atm with uh, the machine that we take money from it yes it it replaced a certain profession of people basically sitting in the banks and giving money it replaced them yes but then those people then had to do another set of jobs that required a, a higher order thinking than just giving out the money and counting it the machines could to take care of mm. so i believe it would not be a complete i i i don't see in, in the near future that controllers will not be there in the control tower i believe that the responsibilities that they now have would then be uh, changed or would then evolve to suit uh, that particular point in time uh, and it, it it should be in commensurate with with what uh, the task we have at at hand and which is basically a lot more traffic to handle so so you can't really focus on each thing but you need to focus on the critical areas i mean the the examples you give are very relevant and like applicable to what research you're doing like it's very easy to understand so i appreciate that I think we can end up round this interview off with how you spent your time during the PhD. Like, if you're not doing research, what do you find yourself doing? Yeah, most of the time was actually spent in the research lab. So, um, what I would do otherwise, <laughs> I would, I would, I would travel, and um, I would, I would read travel logs uh, and sometimes some novels to take my mind off what I was doing. Yeah, I would spend a lot of time in in, in massages also. Uh, that kinds of gives me. Um, some sense of higher purpose than uh, than um, than the, the everyday research that i'm doing and and truth be told there are days where and you're not getting results uh, or you're not getting anywhere things are not working so you so you really need those um, moments where you actually can reflect back on your lives and think about when you are doing research we are really we we get 
pushed in 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 the corner and we are really um, siloed you know that uh, a failure in 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 getting results basically tell us that we are failure in lives but then it it basically anything that gives me some space to think about that uh, life is more than research helps me come back the next day or the next week or the following month to the same problems with a with the clearer mind mm. sometimes you just stuck you know banging against the wall and then you need to some time off you need to go back and for me uh, yeah religion always does that it gives me a sense of calm and peace and a sense of higher purpose than just the mundane day to day activities and so when i go back i'm i'm with a clearer mind and um, and yeah sometimes those in fact most of the times those these breaks work so uh, yeah that is how i would just just not do research and and take a break beautifully put thank you so much for joining us today hasnain thanks a lot and it was a uh, pleasure we'll see you we'll see everyone next time all right thanks a lot thank you bye 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 bye